welcome back to another episode of T-10, the show with 10-minute takes on the future of education and healthcare. I'm your host, Tim Fitzpatrick. On today's episode of T-10, you'll hear from Todd Maddox, a well-known learning scientist and a longtime colleague of mine at Icona, and how his first career in academia and research led to insights that have unlocked the power of psychology and neurobiology in the private sector. This conversation is six years in the making and really captures the essence of why I'm so excited to have people like Todd channeling their expertise into education and training applications in healthcare. And if you're not tracking him already, head over to LinkedIn and follow Todd for a daily dose of research and all things learning science. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Todd Maddox. Todd, I am thrilled to have you on the show. It's been a very long time coming. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Hey, I'm really glad to be here. And yeah, it has been a, a bit of a long time coming. So great to be here. Great to chat, Jim. Uh, so this, um, you know, this view of you is something that I've gotten used to over the last five plus years. Uh, but I think for a lot of people listening and anyone who's paid attention to the Icona story in particular, or to you and your career path in the last five, six years, we'll likely recognize our names together, your name and writing quite a bit about learning science. Uh, so if nothing else, I'm just really excited. People will finally have a chance to know face and a name and, and kind of hear directly from you what it is you work on and why it is you play such an important role in, in helping companies uh, like Icona do what we're trying to do. So I want to start by giving you a chance to, to share your background and kind of your path to, to working with startups nowadays in the healthcare space. And then if, if you could, how, how it is you think about in the context of learning science and the frameworks you've helped develop, what that kind of looks like. But let's start with your background and kind of how you came to be here today. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of on career number two is the way I look at this. Um, uh, I spent 25 years as a, an academic, so I got a PhD in psychology uh, in the early 1990s, and I, I was all in on the academic route, so and, and, and the research route, I would say. So I was at Research One Universities, spent almost 20 years at the Uni University of Texas at Austin, where I was in the psychology department, obviously. But what I studied was essentially how the brain learns. So you know, we often talk about learning and education and training and, and how does the brain do that? And does the brain learn information the same as it uh, learns how to do things? And the answer is very, very different, completely different neural systems, completely different neurotransmitters, completely different operating characteristics. And so, um, you know, just like really interesting, fascinating stuff did a ton of basic science uh, research. I was um, kind of a workaholic, so kind of been that way for a long time. So um, I was quite successful, got grants, wrote lots of papers, trained lots of students, gave lots of presentations, all that kind of stuff. And, and, it, and it's awesome. The, the thing about academics is, um, you know, there's 50 to 100 people who know what you do, and they either like what you do or don't like what you do, but you don't unless you're a pl an applied scientist, which I was only sort of dabbling in toward the end, 
you don't get to see sort of the fruits of of that labor and that's what the last cash it's almost seven years now um since i left academics that's what this ride has been about and it's i mean it's it's quite a ride hold on you know lots of seat belts but um really amazing and that is translating all this amazing science that we've done in the laboratories and trying to apply it in the private sector and that's what's been really fun yeah i think um i appreciate you sharing todd i think one of the you know I, i've had the benefit of, of kind of slowly meeting by meeting and session by session kind of learning from you directly and i'm i'd love to have you kind of articulate how you did make that shift and, and i'm sure it you know it wasn't easy it wasn't obvious right away and uh, you yourself have said many times, or even your work, which is decades of research, is is on the shoulders of, of research that's been around for, for a century and a half. Um, could you talk about one example, which is the, the framework that you have kind of adapted into the application that is currently being used at Icona and certainly where you, what you've come to learn as a way to to make what you've done digestible for for products, for people, for consumers, and obviously for the stakeholders that many people here care about that are healthcare stakeholders, you know, whether it's the provider, the clinician, or the patient. So could you talk about that transfer of knowledge into the, into the framework? Yeah, yeah. Um, first thing is I was really completely and totally naive um, about sort of what was being done in the private sector. I, I, knew, I knew that I wanted to be in healthcare for a number of sort of personal reasons. Um, yeah, it's happening again. Um, I, I knew I wanted to be in healthcare and I started to see what was out there in the, in, in the, in learning, in education and in training in the private sector. And there were a lot of toys, like tools in the toolbox, you know, a lot of digital technologies and software and all this stuff, but it, 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 none of it leveraged over a hundred years of research. It was just, here's a cool thing you could use in this setting. Cause I think it's cool. Like that's not good science. That's not going to get us anywhere. That's not innovative and it's not going to help us solve problems. Um, and so, you know, I, I looked at this stuff pretty carefully and I, you know, I was kind of bummed about that to be honest initially, but, but I was really excited about the digital technologies. So cool learning management systems, things like virtual reality, things like augmented reality that were being used in clever ways. But I, I kind of had this aha moment at one point because I realized in looking at these technologies that these different technologies engage different parts of the brain. So for example, when you put a virtual reality headset on and you're dropped into some new environment, man, your, your brain is like massively active. And it's poised for behavior change. Well, behavior change is, is a huge lift in healthcare. On the other hand, a mobile device can pre present information to you, but you need to know how the brain brings information in in order to deliver that content effectively. And, and there was nobody really delivering content in a systematic scientific way. So in thinking that through, 
and in talking with people in the private sector and, um, you know, just full disclosure, all the conversations that you and I have had over the last six years um, really helped me sort of hone in on a pretty simple framework, a simple three-step framework that will help us determine what digital technology to use in what learning setting. So for example, step one is what is it that you what is it that you want a patient to learn? Or what is it that you want a provider to learn? Is it facts and figures, structure and function of the kidney? What is diabetes? You know, knowledge. So is is it that or is it I want you to get a feel for what it's like to be on dialysis at your house instead of in a clinic. I don't want you to just think about the fact that you have to stick yourself with a needle. You need to think about that. And we need you to think through that. But I want you to think about what your life could be like. And I want you to think about and understand that through experience. Or do I need to train you how to use some medical device that's complicated, like a home dialysis machine? Then, you know, so what is the problem? Is it facts and figures, familiarization, or actual behavior change? Once I know what the problem is, I then know what brain regions need to be activated, what learning needs to occur, what systems in the brain need to be modified. Then I know what digital technology, step three is, what digital technology engages those relevant brain centers. This is very high level, you know, a, a basic scientist could come in here and, you know, complain about it, and that's fine. The devil's in the details, but at this highest level, this works really well. So if if I want to um, familiarize a dialysis patient with what it's like to go home, I'm going to drop them in a 360 video environment with somebody who's done that. And with the headset on, I'm looking around and I see their machine over there and I see their supplies over here. And they're telling me that they had fears and I'm going, wow, I have those same fears. And they're telling me how they overcame them. They're telling me how their life is now different and how the quality of life is better. And I go, okay, maybe that's worth learning more about. I'm interested in learning more. Whereas you're not going to get that by reading a PDF about what home dialysis is. It's just not going to work. Um, on the other or hand, if watching please, a video, for example, right? So even you know, what one of the questions we, we get often is, okay, I, I hear you, but why can't you just watch a YouTube video? So if, if you could, I want to make sure you, you touch on what are those regions or systems in the brain, right? You mentioned yeah. there are different systems, they have different operating characteristics at a high level. What are those symptoms so that we can then maybe talk about how the digital technologies then tap into those systems? Yeah, great point, Tim. I mean, there's basically four systems. So one is a cognitive system. If you ask your grandmother what education and learning is about, or anybody off the street, they're going to be thinking about cognitive, reading a textbook and memorizing stuff. That's the cognitive system. That's a prefrontal cortex right behind your forehead. There's the experiential learning system. The experiential learning system is basically your sensory and your perceptual representation regions. And with respect to the example about walking a mile in the shoes of a home dialysis patient, that's the one that's key. You've got the sense of immersion, the sense of I'm somewhere else, um, the sense of presence. You get that sense because 
the back of your brain, the sides of your brain, the, the top of your brain, all these sensory and perceptual representation regions are active. So we call that the experiential learning center. Then there's an emotional center. These are limbic structures. And a lot of people know about the amygdala. So getting people motivated, getting them engaged. And then finally, there are behavioral learning centers. Um, this is literally where the brain learns the you know, muscle movements in order to make something work. I often talk about it's one thing to know what you need to do. It's another thing to know how to do it. And they're totally distinct because it's different brain systems. So cognitive, experiential, emotional, and behavioral learning centers. And and right. to your to your comment about the watching a video, a video is two dimensional. It's dynamic, but it's two dimensional, and it's not immersive. It, it, I'm not saying it's not effective, but it's not even close to as effective. Again, for a familiarization type problem, than putting on a VR device, looking around and the environment in front of you is changing, which tells your brain, I am somewhere else. I am immersed. I am here, wherever that is. And then all these centers are engaged in synchrony and you walk away from that experience changed. Um, and that's, you know, that's really key. And I, I get that question all the time too. How's this different from a mobile app or a video? Like it's hugely different because of the way these devices, in particular VR in this example, broadly engages so many parts of the brain it, it's it's really unique digital technology in that in that sense absolutely and so i i didn't mean to cut you off but nope. i want to make sure that we, we kind of we get to the third step in the framework and you hinted at it before but the selection of the delivery method or the platform through which you are delivering this information uh right because it's content is kind of the what and the delivery mechanism is the how, and then there's also the, the the region that's associated with that learning task and how we deliver it. So if you could kind of wrap up at the beginning, you mentioned there's AR that's exciting and those applications certainly seem like they have a lot of promise, but how can someone who's now at step two thinking about, okay, I think what it is I want my patients to feel that might impact their decision or me as a brand new frontline clinician, how should I be thinking about consuming information given my choice of platform if i do have a choice yeah i mean okay so what the three-step process does is helps you determine what's the ideal platform okay now that doesn't mean that other platforms aren't useful so let's take for example um and 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 frankly you know if if the problem you're trying to solve is something like i need to learn how to use a home dialysis machine you're going to use computer-based learning platforms you're probably going to use passive 360 video and you're going to use real-time feedback driven augmented reality right and you might use those in an interesting sequence so it is a little bit more complicated but 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 you know i, I keep going back to the familiarization one because it's one that it's so critical and, and and we've done some work on this um getting people to understand what home dialysis is like you just can't get that from reading a story or, or frankly, reading about the machine and what you, the steps that you have to follow. You're not, you're not going to get it. You're going to get it by experiencing it, right? So step three is, so these various digital technologies, we know that they engage particular brain centers. So a standard learning management system um, or, you know, delivering content via mobile or a computer, 
that's going to engage the cognitive system. And if you just need if you just need to store and learn facts and figures, okay, if your task is facts and figure learning, you need to engage the cognitive system, then you should do that with a computer-based platform. But it needs to be delivered in a way that's friendly to the brain. And that's that's the one piece we haven't really talked a lot about because the cognitive system has constraints. Like it's constrained by working memory. We can't remember a hundred things at one time. It's constrained by attention. So and, and and this is where the this is where those tools have failed. They present all this content and and even market it as look, you have all this content available to you. Isn't this wonderful? Like, no, that's not wonderful. You need to deliver the content to me in a way that's gonna work for my brain because you know, I don't, I don't know what works for my brain. In fact, what I think works for my brain usually is wrong. So you need to deliver that content in a particular way. And, and we use something called uh, spaced micro learning. So putting things in little chunks, little chunks of information, learning spaced over time, where you test people to make sure they're learning and retaining critically, and then retrain on things that people forget. So that's one example of the three steps. Let's say I need to learn how to um, use a home dialysis machine. I need to learn how to use it on my own. That's going to require cognitive learning. It's going to require emotional learning. It's going to require behavioral learning. And those should happen through experience. So I need all those centers engaged. So how, how can I do that? Well, if I have a, a high-quality interactive virtual reality tool, where I'm getting immediate feedback, that's going to get me a long, a, a long way, you know, toward uh, learning that. Or it could be an augmented reality tool where, um, you know, I'm using a uh, uh, like an iPad, um, and I've got a virtual machine in front of me, and it's walking me through the steps that I need to follow. Right now, that's not sticking. You know, you're not sticking yourself with a needle and stuff, so it's not the full suite, but it's going to get you a long way toward actually learning that. So what's the problem I need to solve? What brain regions need to be activated? And then what digital technology activates those brain regions most effectively? Excellent. Yeah, thanks, Todd. This is this is great. I think to, to kind of close the loop with a lot of the conversations that I've had on, on this show with other clinicians and people who are thinking about training programs, education programs at scale, and it's not realistic, I don't think, from conversations to think that all of these new novel tools will suddenly sweep in and replace the status quo or change or disrupt. I think that's a common word we hear in technology, but it is not a realistic expectation in healthcare. I, I think a lot of the existing training frameworks of in-person and 20-week uh, programs to help patients get up to speed and with lots of coaching and one-on-one -on -one FaceTime those aren't going to go away. Those those are important. Those absolutely are vital in building that confidence in the training skills to allow patients to successfully pursue certain treatment paths. Um, but the opportunity to introduce these tools, perhaps one at a time, to test them, to show that it can help you get there faster to raise the bar on things like knowledge transfer or retention of knowledge, confidence, reduce anxiety. I mean, those are the kinds of things where I know you and I talk frequently about, we're constantly asking questions around 
because those are the things that I think will be near-term applicable that people will be able to relate to to say, yeah, these are these are absolutely the challenges that we hear from patients. And what if we had tools that could engage them from an emotional standpoint or perspective? So I, I appreciate you sharing the the totality of the approach, even though it's it's simple. It like you said that the it's in the details. There's so much flexibility built into the framework, and I think even one of those paths or one use case example navigating its way through the framework could be useful and impactful for anyone listening who is in any clinic setting. Uh, we can imagine the survey that we've talked to. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing. Thank you for coming on T-10. 